good to have all of you here together to, to, to be God's family gathered together. And even those that aren't able to be with us are also joining in online. I've heard from, heard from a few different folks nearer in and farther away that are joining us in worship online as well. So good to, good to have you folks. That, that song that we just sang, well, a, a song ago, though I may not see what the future brings, I will watch and wait for the Savior King. There's a lot there, isn't there? We don't know what life's going to bring. We, we start off with the, with the best of, of hopes and expectations, and yet often, often it's not what we'd hoped it was going to be, and yet we wait for the Savior King. We, we are broken people in a broken world in desperate need of our Savior. And so we rejoice in him. We thank God that he so loved us that he gave us his son. When Romans chapter 16, which I'm, I'm excited about, this is the, this is the finish of a, of a series that we've been doing over 16 weeks in the book of Romans, and in, in chapter 16 as well, chapter 16 is the only place in all the book of Romans that there is any mention whatsoever about somebody's mother. And here we are on Mother's Day in Romans chapter 16. I love it when a plan comes together. Probably, probably the only church, certainly in the county, where this is the Mother's Day text this morning, but this is where we are. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Romans 16 isn't about mothers in general. It's, it's more about family. It's, it's about not just your family. It's about our family. It's about God's family. Now, family can be great, but too often, in the midst of this world needing redemption, it is not. In fact, this holiday that we celebrate today, Mother's Day, is, is, has kind of a mixed response. I don't know if you're aware of that. But for a, lot of, for a lot of people, Mother's Day stirs up feelings in them that, that aren't all warm and cozy and wonderful, but are, are um, feelings of regret or of loss, a pain of loss, of what should have been, of what was, or maybe it's pain concerning what never has been. And so that's part of it as well. And that's, that's kind of a microcosm of life and life together in relationship with others where there is hurt and loss and brokenness. And yet, God has called us to be family together. That... Um, when I was growing up, in my own, in my own teen years, uh, I, I didn't have a great home relationship with my mother. That uh, I grew up in a broken home, and, and in my junior high, middle school years, my parents were divorced, and, and I, I had no idea. I only realized later how hard my mom worked, how much she gave up just to keep basic things. Uh, Things for us, like shelter over our heads and food, such as it was on the table. At the time, I could only see what wasn't and what should have been. I had no idea. Teenagers are like that, right? It's kind of like babies' arms. So, what do you mean? Well, you know, babies are so cute, but babies don't know a lot. In fact, when babies are little, they didn't even know that they've got arms, right? 
They're waving these things all over the place, and now and again they get whacked in the head with one smack. And then they say, ah, and my, oh, baby, what's wrong? Oh, somebody hit me. Oh, baby, nobody hit you. That was just your arm. What are arms? Well, you don't know about those yet, but you will. It's okay. Well, teenagers are like that too. It's not that they don't know what arms are. They've discovered, typically by the teen years, what arms are, right? But there's other things. There's ideas that circulate around in their head that they get hurt with. And they think that everybody, somebody else is thinking this about me. Somebody else thinks this. Uh, Mama, somebody. No, 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 baby. Those are just your own thoughts in your own head that you're hitting yourself with. It's And along the way, you grow out of that and you realize it's not nearly so important what I think about me, what somebody else thinks about me. What's really important is what my God and Savior thinks about me and says about me and has has done for me and has established me. And so as a teen, I didn't realize. But along the way, in those times when I did not have, and there was much, much burden on my mom, but... I did not have the kind of nurturing, mothering that a young guy should have had. And so I'm grateful for some of those others that God put around me in life. And it happened in that same time in my teen years. I came to faith in Christ. And God surrounded me with some others within the church as well. I think of one of these who was like a mother to me, who gave me my first study book. She gave me a Strong's Concordance, a Englishman's, an Englishman's Concordance of the Greek New Testament, whatever that is, right? And, 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 a, and, a, and a, a whole Bible commentary. Oh, this dear woman had no idea what she was starting, right? And yet uh, she, she, she saw something in me that she wanted to nurture along. There were others along the way that within the church, within God's family, took me under their wings, nurtured me along, cared for me, gave of themselves for me. And there's some of that in Romans chapter 16. And what I hope it stirs within you this morning is a remembrance within your family and I hope within a broader family, within God's family, those whom you have been encouraged by. Those who have showed you something of God's care for you, they've been the ones that it has come through. And that you would be encouraged in God's care, you'd be encouraged in serving together, you would encourage them concerning how God has used you, or God has used them in your life. In Romans chapter 16, we have this focus on family, God's family on mission. And as God's family on mission, there's, there's a lot of family descriptions. There's brothers and sisters. There's this one who was a mother to me, Paul says. He, he refers to people as his kinsmen. He refers to the church and their house and those who are of this family and that family. There's a lot of family language in there. And so as we are called to be, according to God's mercies, living sacrifices in this world, together for one another, on mission, this, this description in Romans chapter 16, this is what it can look like. This is the kind of relationship God has called us in together. And I hope you'll be encouraged by that. Encouraged in one another serving together, verses 1 to 16. 
Paul, Paul says to welcome one another, to greet one another, that this is how we live out the acceptance, the love, the honor that has been given to one another in Christ. He's going to tell us here in these passages to, to greet one another, to receive and embrace and accept one another in a manner that is worthy of the saints. And commentators go around in circles on that one. Is it that we are to greet someone in a way that is worthy of how a saint should be greeted? Or are we to greet one another in a way that is appropriate for how we, as God's saints, as God's chosen ones, should greet others? It's probably something of both of those together. Well, let's jump in. I want to point out some of these names. Some of these names are hard to pronounce, so we'll skip those ones. I'll choose the easier ones to deal with. But let's consider some of these. It's, it's good for us to get to know some of these as Paul knew them. One of the things we'll find is, is that within this church family, they knew one another. Even across distance, they knew one another. In, in chapter 16, verse 1, we'll start off with Phoebe. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church as Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Help her in whatever way she may have need from you, for she has been a patron of many, of myself as well. He starts off greeting a woman who is not in the church in Rome. He's commending her too. She comes from where Paul... Paul is writing this letter. He's writing a letter to the church of Rome from Corinth, and one of the two harbors in the city of Corinth is Centria. And so that's where Phoebe is from. Now, we don't know a whole lot about her other than that she, she does travel. She's going to be going to Rome, so he commends her to them, and he's probably the one, she's probably the one who carries this letter of Romans to that church. We would not have this letter if it wasn't for her safeguarding it and bringing it to its destination. A huge responsibility that Paul has entrusted to her. And what he says of her, that she has been a patron of many and even of myself as well. She has been a helper of others. She's been a sponsor of others. She has used the resources that God has given her for the good of others and for the advance of the gospel. That's Phoebe. Along with Phoebe, we meet Priscilla or Prisca and Aquila. Prisca is more the, the, the shortened family uh, name, a nickname. My fellow workers, there's a closeness here, in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life. They risked themselves for him. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the nations give thanks as well. Greet also the church that is in their house. Now, something about Priscilla and Aquila. Paul first meets them when he first arrives in Corinth. He's traveled from Philippi to Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and now Corinth. And there in Corinth, he writes back to the church at Thessalonica. And at Corinth, he's received into the household, or into the business at least, of Priscilla and Aquila who are tent makers. They are canvas craftsmen. We think in terms of tents, and there were those that would come and there were a lot of tents sold, temporary dwellings sold in Corinth for people who would come for games and for other festivals there. And that would be the temporary lodging they would stay in. But they also sewed, uh, the, they, 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 they made and repaired canvas sails for ships. And with harbors on either side of this narrow land bridge that connected the peninsula to the mainland of Greek, Corinth was well situated for such a trade. 
Now, they traveled from, they, they were in Corinth. They're originally from Rome. They were exiled out of Rome by the Emperor Claudius when he said that no Jews could no longer live in Rome. That lasted until Claudius died. And so they were, they were in, in Rome. They, they're exiled. They moved to Corinth. But from Corinth, after partnering with Paul in Corinth, they move on with Paul to Ephesus. In fact, when Paul continues on to Antioch and Jerusalem at the end of that second journey, they remain in Ephesus preparing the ground for when Paul is going to return and spend those fruitful years of ministry uh, in, in, in Ephesus on his, on his third missionary journey. So they were, they were critical, not only to all the churches in Asia around Ephesus, but the church in Corinth and now back again in the church in Rome and hosting some of that church in their own home. There's a bunch of other people People are listed here, and it's interesting what the church looks like. There's 28 people in all, at least three house churches. There's couples and individuals. Women are going to be prominent in this list. In fact, we've seen that already. First, it's Phoebe, and then it's Priscilla mentioned even before Aquila, her husband. They, there are, they, are, they come from diverse backgrounds, Jerusalem to Rome, Persia to Lydia, from, from Greece to Asia. They are veterans of ministry. There are newer believers. They have endured trouble. They are those who have enjoyed privilege. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, everyday unknowns and historically well-knowns, all together gathered in the gospel. What are they commended for? They're going to be commended for supporting Paul and others, as we've seen, risking their own lives. Women who worked hard. They worked until they were weary. Endured imprisonment and trials, opened their own homes for ministry. I was told earlier this week that, that in the course of doing a whole bunch of interviews and employing people at work, something, something that was heard over and over again is people want to work on significant things with pleasant people who will work hard too. They will join in. They're going to work hard. It's a, this is the team I want to join and be a part of, and what we do matters. That is God's family on mission. That is the church. This is God's enterprise all over the world, extending his mercy in all kinds of diverse ways for children and adults and caring for seniors and even in hospitals and schools and that those whom God has created might know him and might be restored into relationship with him, reconciled to God and reconciled through him and his peace to one another again. This is what God has called us into in the gospel. Let's look at a few more. There's In verse 7, there's Andronicus and Junia. We don't know much about Andronicus and Junia, except that they're apparently a couple, apparently man and wife, and they were in the, they were, they're well known to the apostles. They also have been fellow prisoners. They have invested in the gospel to the point that they have been imprisoned because of it. They, they were in Christ before Paul, back when Paul was still persecuting the Christians. These were believers. They might, now, 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 Paul comes to Christ pretty early, right? Around about Acts chapter 9. So they may go all the way back to Pentecost. There is um, Apelles, verse 10. Apelles is approved in Christ. Now, to be approved means that he has been tested and proven. He's gone through trouble. There has been hardship, and there will be. You'll experience it too. But, but Apelles has gone through it, and he's remained faithful. His faith and character have been proven through the hardship and through the difficulties. I'm reminded of Awana. 
where we saw that, uh, I, I don't know if you heard, but one of our, one of our teens in Awana recited for us, did a scripture reading of Romans 15 last week, although it wasn't a reading, it was a recitation from memory. And then went over to Awana in the, in, the, in, the, in the second hour and recited the entire book of Romans from memory. That's approved workmen. Not ashamed of the gospel, but invested in the gospel. I think of Romans chapter 12, that approved. That you may prove what is that by doing and experience what is that good and acceptable and reaching God's goal, will of God. Apollos is approved. In verse 10, he mentions those who are of the household or family of Aristopolis. Now, who is Aristopolis? Aristobulus is most likely the well-known grandson of Herod the Great. He would, be the, uh, uh, he would be the brother of Herod Agrippa, who was the Herod in, in, in the book of Acts who had James killed, who had arrested Peter, who stood there in the theater in this glorious golden robe, and everybody said he was a god, and he just soaked it all in, and God himself struck him down. Uh, Aristopolis lived in Rome. He was a school chim of the emperor Claudius, so he had a pretty good situation. No need to leave Rome. And um, one of his advisors, one of his friends, and yet those within his household, those within his family, maybe, those as part of his estate, servants and workers, those who were brought in and considered part of the family, of one of the most well-known families in Rome, have come to faith in Christ. He mentions verse 11, Herodian, my kinsman. Herodian would have been a slave or, or a freedman. A, a man who had been a slave was granted his freedom or who earned and purchased his freedom. And yet, name, they, they, they would typically retain the name of the household, the family which they had been freed from. The family, the household of Herod. Verse 11b, those who are of the household or family of Narcissus. Now, Narcissus, that's an interesting name. That's where we get narcissism, right? That, that focus on oneself. But this Narcissus is most likely the well-known, most influential advisor of the Emperor Claudius. One of the most significant names and families in Rome at the day. And yet within his household as well, the gospel has come. When Paul arrives in Rome, when Paul is in prison in Rome, he's going to say that, that the, the gospel has come into even Caesar's own household. And among the Praetorian Guard, that there is nowhere that the testimony of Christ and his saving forgiveness cannot reach. And yet he does it through his family, through his messenger just like these. He mentions in verse 12, Tryphena and Trephosa. I don't know how many people, how many Trophinas or Trifosas you've known. These are probably sisters, a lot of people assume, because of the wordplay on their name. Quite likely because their words mean, or, or, or their names mean dainty and delicate. To, for, they, they, they suggest a soft and luxurious lifestyle of indulgence. Maybe they were born into a wealthy family. Or maybe they were born into a very poor family with parents who had a sense of humor. But what's said about dainty and delicate is that they roll up their sleeves. They have worked hard for the Lord. They have worked hard unto weariness. And then we come to verse 13, because it's Mother's Day. And we come to Rufus. Who is Rufus? 
We need to know who Rufus is because we need to greet Rufus. Well, Rufus is quite likely the Rufus who's mentioned in the Gospel of Mark as the son of Simon of Cyrene, the man who bore the cross of Christ to his place of crucifixion. You see, Mark is the only one that mentions the name of Simon's sons. And the only reason that Mark would have to mention the name of Simon's sons as he's writing this gospel for Christians in Rome is that they would know those men whose names that he's providing because they don't play any other part in that gospel story. And so apparently Rufus and, and his brother Alexander, perhaps Simon their father, their mother certainly was now residing in Rome instead. And what's remarkable, if that's who this Rufus is, is that Paul goes on to say, Rufus chosen in the Lord, chosen for a specific early appreciation of how Jesus would bear our burdens and to greet his mother who Paul says was also a mother to me. That circles back around for me to some of those women, those godly women who played such a role in my life early on. And then even after Julie and I were married, took us in and sort of showed us what Christian family looked like. Simon, or, or rather, the mother of Rufus seems to be that for Paul. And isn't it remarkable that in that earliest day, when Simon is chosen to bear the cross of Christ and his sons see this, and Saul at that time would have been on the other side of that event. He would have been cheering it on and he followed it up, persecuted and chasing down, hunting out Christians who believed in Jesus. And now they are joined as family. So that Paul can say, greet Rufus for me. Greet his mom especially, who, was, who has also been a mother to me, that this woman would, would, would put Paul under her wing and take him in when so many Christians in Jerusalem and Judea didn't know what to do with Saul of Tarsus, who now had become a believer. But this woman was one of those who took him in, helped him along. That's the kind of unity, that's the kind of bond together outside our own expectations, even our own possibilities. That's what the gospel does in life. This is the family that God has called us to be encouraged in serving together with others on God's mission in the gospel. This is how we've been joined together. These are who we've been joined to. This is who we can be also for one another. Paul's kept up with him through the years and all of his travels here and there. He knows so many people, 28 that he names. He knows these people in Rome. Not only does he know of them, he knows something about their ministry and their connection. Paul has stayed connected to these people. He didn't meet them in passing along the way, added them to his list, and moved on. No, they've stayed connection. There's a bond together. I'm reminded that lasting influence, lasting influence in the lives of others comes by relationship, not by authority. Paul doesn't pull the apostle card here. 
It's all about his relationship and his connection with his people. That's true in church. It's true among neighbors. It's true in parenting. Now, in parenting, when the kids are young, you exercise influence by control, right? You, you, you have control. You can say no, and remarkably, they listen, right? How long does that last? Until they're like two? But along the way, as they get older, as they leave the nest, as they go out on their own, as they have their their own kids, those grandchildren that you want to have time with, you find you don't have control anymore, but you have influence. Influence comes through relationship. It's earned to relationship. And so it's good to know some of these. It's also good to know some of these. We're in a church that you're able to know the people that are around you. You're you're able to join in ministry together, to rub shoulders together, to be in a small group together, to know and to pray for one another, to join in a class together, to be learning, challenged, growing together. Do that. Take advantage of that. Get invested in the lives of one another, that you might serve them, that God would use you that you would grow together and have these kind of bonds. One of the things that, that has been heightened in this last year in the COVID era is that, is that those, those bonds together have been stretched, haven't they? The people feel more alone and more isolated than they have before. And that's a growing trend in a social media culture anyway. We think we're connected, but we're more isolated. And now this is only aggravated and increased it. We don't even see each other's faces anymore. And greater and greater is the need for life-on-life life connection and relationship. Family is needed. And because family is needed, and because family, church family, God's family, is where we can get our encouragement together, not only is family needed, family needs to be protected. You want to do that in your own family, right? Parents are going to safeguard their children. They're going to look, I, I do remember one time, my mom said this when I was young, probably, probably I was 10 years old, there was some news story about somebody who'd done some terrible thing to somebody else's children. And I remember mom making the statement, if somebody tried to do that to one of you, I would tear him, his arms off. I would tear him limb from limb. Now, mom wasn't normally a violent person. Well, she did have a paddle. But... That stuck with me because the way she said it, I believed it. I believed that, that when her children were threatened, she would turn into Mama Bear. Family, family needs to be protected. Family needs to be protected from influence around. Your family, then, your own marriage needs to be safeguarded and protected. You've heard of the man who, who tells his wife, Look, when we were married, I told you I loved you. And if anything changes from then, I'll let you know. That is not the way to guard and protect marriage, is it? We know that. It needs to be nurtured. It needs to be cared for. We want to protect even our seniors, grandparents. We want to protect them from influences, from being taken advantage of, from being scammed through something they receive in the email that looks legit and yet is not. If we're going to be careful, if we're going to safeguard family, we can't just shrug and assume, well, I guess things will probably be okay. We're going to have to be alert. We watch out. And so Paul says in verse 17, following on this family together, he says, so be careful. Watch out. Watch out for those. Be on the alert. 
He says, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, who cause dissension, who will split up the family. Watch out for those who are going to create obstacles or stumbling blocks or enticements away from that which is good. Things that are contrary to the doctrine, the biblical doctrine of the book of Romans that you have been taught. And avoid these. Stay away from them. Mark it down. Social distance. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, their own desires. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive, the gullible, the unsuspecting, and therefore trusting. For your obedience is known to all. It's good. You've been doing well, but let's not stop there. Let's not take it for granted. I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good. I want you to be experienced in practice. This wisdom is applying God's truth into the realities of life. I want you to continue to be experienced in practice in not only knowing God's Word, but living it out, stepping into it, knowing it by its experience, safeguarding your life, your family, those around you in the church, safeguarding them by your walking in God's truth. I want you to be wise in what is good, and I want you to be innocent, protected, untouched or untainted by what is evil. Now, what does that mean? Let's unpack some of those terms a little bit. Uh, Those things that are contrary to the truth, creating obstacles, enticing away. I've heard from people recently talking about things that are happening in churches. In in, in a sense, people are being enticed away from the gospel into, into other things. And all through history, there has been a redefining of Christ away from God himself in the person of his son, stepping down from heaven, laying aside the prerogatives and the power of his deity, laying that aside and taking upon himself as God humanity and coming in the weakness of our flesh and living among us in this broken world, moving into our neighborhood, taking on the hardships, hungering and thirsting, and even joining us in our death, in our place. God himself doing that. And yet there's been for many a redefinition that Jesus is not God. He's he's the son of God. Be careful. Or maybe he's a prophet of God. He speaks for God, but he's not God himself. Be careful. Maybe he's just a good moral teacher or philosopher. He's got a good, Jesus has got a lot of good things to say. No, this is the very word and expression of God. You want to know God? Look at Jesus. Jesus is God translated into humanity so that we could know him. There's a redefining of the gospel of grace to sin management, how to have a better life, how to have a successful life, career, how to have happiness at home, how, to, how, can, how can your kids do well in life. There's a management of our sin pulses, and if you don't do these things and instead do these things and follow that formula, life will go well for you. God's Bible is actually a guidebook for us to know how we can live a happier, fuller, and blessed life. How will we manage sin for our own better outcomes? And that sounds good but it puts the imperatives before the indicatives. 
What do I mean? It, it, it puts the, the commands that we have been called to ahead of those mercies of God that they are based on. That God's moral imperatives always stand on gospel indicatives. That what God is, has said about us and for us is the basis upon which we can now live new as living sacrifices. It's Romans 1 to 8, the gospel for sinners, justified by faith in Christ to new life in this flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit because God has been, is being, and will be faithful to his promises. It's on that basis that we present ourselves a living sacrifice. And that's another redefinition that happens today, a redefinition of what it is to be a Christian, a redefinition of Christian identity that we are to be blessed beneficiaries of God's goodness and his good stuff rather than privileged ambassadors to represent him to other, others even as Jesus showed him to us. That's our calling. Our calling is to take up our cross and to follow him. Our calling is to, to be living sacrifice, even as Jesus sacrificed for us. The one who, who loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, is the one who finds it. And yet the Christian life is being redefined as God just wants to bless you. If you will trust God and if you will send in a little seed of your faith, just a little contribution to keep this ministry going, then just around the corner, God is going to bless you. Just around the corner, God is going to shower you with all kinds of blessing. You're going to get a car upgrade, a house upgrade, a life upgrade. I don't know. Whatever it is that you're dreaming about, God is giving you that dream and he's going to fulfill it. You've heard stuff like that. It's all over out there. And it is not the gospel of Jesus. Jesus did not live that way. And that is not his calling for us. His calling for us as his family together is to join, is to know him by joining in his sacrifice for the sake of others. We are to be wise in applying our knowledge of God's sacrifice into our own lives. Innocent and untainted by evil. Let me give you an example of that. I'm working on a plumbing job at home. I'm putting a shower downstairs in what was a half bath. And it's going to be, I guess now, a three-quarter bath. It'll have a shower as well. And so you've got to do the rough-in plumbing. I, and I'm, I'm having the inspector come. I, I think I'm ready for my rough-in inspection. I guess the inspector will tell me if I am or not. But along the way... Showers have to have a drain. And I've learned you can't just cut a hole in the floor and let it drain out into the ground there, you know, to just soak in and be fine, right? No, you can't do that. You've got to connect that drain uh, at, a, at a quarter inch per foot slope into the main drain line that runs through the house and then out into the, into the county sewer. Okay. The only problem with that is where I've got to connect into the drain, I've got to cut into the existing drain pipe, I've got to open that up so I can splice in where I need to splice in a new tee for the shower, right? And I've got to do all that inches away from where the toilet joins that drain line. Can you say it with me? Ew. <sighs> Talk about social distance, huh? <laughs> I don't want anywhere near that. And yet I've got to work there. I've got to connect the drain in. I'm telling Julie, okay, don't run any water, and certainly, certainly don't flush the toilet. 
Okay, I've got, I've got long pants, I've got long socks on, I've got old shoes, I've got a long sleeve shirt, I've got gloves on, I've got a knit cap over my head, not because it's cold under the house, because I don't want to be near all this stuff that's under the house. And in the sewer line, and yet I've got to cut into it. And as careful as I can, touching as little as I can, I've got to put the glue on and put the pipes together and get all in, hopefully it works. And it didn't. You got to know, Bob's not a plumber. Bob put it on backwards. So Bob's got to cut the whole thing open again and do it again. Ah. But that's where we work. That's where we live, okay? We are in the middle. You know, plumbers make good money. And I do not begrudge them of it. I can't pay it, but I don't begrudge them of it. Absolutely, you're doing that kind of work. But in, in, in an essence, metaphorically, that's the kind of work. We're not called to distance ourselves and step away from the rest of the world because ah, I don't want to be tainted by any of that. We have got to go into the world, but spiritually speaking, protected and untainted ourselves by all the evil influence that is all around us in this fallen world as we seek to engage with, connect with, go to and bring in others into God's family, building them up together with us. That's our calling. We can't separate ourselves from that, but we've got to be careful that we don't get ourselves tainted by all that's around us. We do all this. We engage in this world around us confident, assured of an ultimate victory in Genesis 3 terms. Did you catch it in verse 20? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. There is that promise from Genesis 3, the first gospel, that a a seed would be born to the woman. And this descendant of the woman, he would bruise, crush the serpent's head. And now God says, he will crush Satan's head under your feet. Sometimes it seems like he's winning. Look at Portland just as a microcosm. I know it's, it's popular to pick on Portland so I can get away with it. But consider Portland. The, the country's considering Portland. There's a news, there's a news special this next week. Is, 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 is Portland over? Has the, has the city been lost in a sense? But what's been going on there? The Bible says that the enemy comes to lie, steal, and destroy. And that's what's been going on there. And so there are all kinds of people caught up in them, but the people are not who I'm talking about. The people are those who Jesus would pray for this way, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Neither did I when I laughed off religion and faith in Jesus as death insurance. And yet he forgave me, not knowing what I was doing. And so there are people all around us in this broken, rebellious world who share our same desperate need of our Savior. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so we can see that up front and close and right around us. And we see the lies of it. We see the destruction of it. We see the theft of of what is good and right. And it's an object lesson for us. That's what our enemy is about. And rather than to lie, God has given us the truth. 
rather than to steal. God has given to us to give the glorious gospel of Jesus to people around us. That God so loved the world that he gave his son. And would call us to give out of ourselves, to give from our wealth, to, to give of our time, to build relationships with people around us. Jesus said, use that which you have to invite people into eternal dwelling places. Use the temporary home for eternal purposes. That's and the church that meets in their house. We'll use what we have, what God has given us and entrusted us as stewards of for his purposes in the gospel. The, the thief comes to destroy. And God sends us to bring in and to build up. And he will see, we do that in confidence. Be encouraged. Be careful. But be careful in confidence that God will soon crush the enemy under your feet. So this Mother's Day, there's a, there's a practical exercise I have at the bottom of your bulletin. If you didn't get one of these when you, when you came in, grab one before you go. Because I have an excerpt out of Romans chapter 16, that long list of names and some snippets of what they did, but I took the names out. Because you have other names. I want you to think about that list. And I want you to think about whose name would I put here? And it may be it may be that you would understand your own purpose in God's family if you were so bold to put your own name in there somewhere. God, would you make me more of this? And God, would you give me the opportunity today, help me to follow through with someone, someone that I need to say thank you to, somebody that I need to encourage because of how God has used them in my life, through his word. And do that. Encourage one another as family together. Be careful. Watch out for. Protect one another, but be confident. God will soon, the God of peace will bring peace by crushing our enemy. Be encouraged. Be careful. Be God's family on his mission. Let's pray. Father, do bring to mind the right person. Lord, there's somebody, there's been a lot of people involved in the lives of, of those of us here in your church family. But Lord, there's somebody in particular for each of us perhaps that you know needs this kind of encouragement today or this week. Father, remind us of that person. Help us to see them. And Lord, give us the, give us the willingness, Lord, to take the time to follow through. Father, help us to understand our own place in your family and in your purposes. Lord, use us that way. Strengthen us for it. Grow us in it that you would be glorified in your family, your church. We pray it in Jesus' name.